Bill, it's great to be here. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you, me, for setting it up, and Stephen, and Roisin, and Eileen. You've been in very capable hands all year, and um, I really, I suppose, as I said, I haven't seen you since Applicants Day, if that. So um, it's, it's great to see um, everybody, and I believe there's been lots of activity within this particular, within first year of the BA in social care. So it's my delight to be able to just present uh, very briefly on this particular topic. I'm very aware that Bergay Connery is going to be uh, talking in mo far more depth in relation to the module, etc. Um, and she's been doing a, she's doing a voiceover, done a voiceover of a PowerPoint that you're going to gain access to online. So, but tonight's really just I'm going to give a brief journey through the module. I'm going to talk per unit, and at the end of each unit, I'll just I'll just drop out quickly. Um, and then if there's actually, I'll tell you what, due to the time, I'll actually go through all the, all the units and then if there's any questions at the end, I'll field them. And then if somebody wants to ask a question, you put your hand up and then uh, uh, leave it on you and I'll try my best to answer the question. The module itself is responding to behaviours that challenge, which is, um, it's, it's um, behaviours that challenge itself, the, the title of behaviours that challenge. Challenging behavior, behaviors of challenge, problem behavior, aggression, you name it, this has been called down through the years. The term keeps changing, but the issues don't. And what this module is about, when you think about behaviors of challenge, you think, what's this module actually going to be about? Well, it's effectively, it's far more about, it's less about the person and the behavior, and it's far more about the environment we build around the person and also the, our role in actually ensuring the person has the best quality of life possible and well-being. And, and that will become apparent as we, we go through the course. So I'm going to share the screen now, um, which is this um, very gaudy PowerPoint. Um, so I'm going to play from the start. And um, so it's responding to behaviours that challenge. Uh, the style of the PowerPoint is probably far more due to the fact that the and bored and lockdown than anything else. But if we work through it, so unit one, unit one is really looks at uh, defined behaviors that challenge. Okay, so it's actually defining it. So how do we define behaviors that challenge? Because sometimes behaviors can be just annoying, like uh, like somebody picking their nose. Is that actually behavior? Is that a challenging behavior? Is a behavior that challenges? Um, so when you're actually defining behaviors that challenge, you have to be, is it more inappropriate? Is it more about um, actually have a, a behavior that's going to have a massive impact on the person, the environment, and the people around them? Behaviors themselves has got to do with the context of well-being. The whole key thing of this particular module, if you were to boil it down into an equation, is that poor well-being increases the likelihood of behaviors that challenge. And effectively, behaviours of challenge for many years have been pinpointed on the people we provide services for, in whatever context it is, whether it be uh, with the youth, whether it be with uh, people with disability, whether it be people with mental health, whether it be with the homeless, it's always been their particular issue. But actually, behaviours of challenge is actually about being human. So many times in my life, I've heard staff say, that the person has challenging behavior because they're looking for attention, which is bizarre. So if you think of any time that you actually had challenging behavior, 
in your life. So you think of a moment where you've just lost it. We've all done it. We've all lost it. Were you looking for attention? Probably not. <laughs> you were probably trying to express the fact that at that point, your well-being was being affected. So we have to look at behavior as a challenge in the context of well-being. Also within the module, we look at types of behavior, both common and uncommon, and there's many of them. If you look at, uh, look at types of behavior, uh, there's the, the usual aggression, verbal aggression, property destruction, but there's also the more obscure behaviors um, down through the years, like polydipsy is one where somebody will obsessively drink water or it, you know somebody who who pulls out their hair or somebody who grinds their teeth stuff like this you know in relation to types of behavior prevalence of behaviors research has shown that they normally stand that of any particular population between five and twenty percent it depends on who you're actually it depends you know how you're actually looking at it but it's normally around those particular statistics so that's how prevalent it is in in the in the cohorts we look at Causes of behavior is really the key. So what actually can cause uh, uh, behavior as a challenge? And again, when you're reading the module is to identify that behavior as a challenge can happen for many reasons. Um, and those reasons can be medical, for example, temporal lobe epilepsy. It's not like classic epilepsy where somebody falls on the ground at a seizure. They have a seizure, but the seizure causes them to actually be aggressive, temporal lobe epilepsy. So, and that's to do with the organic element of, of the person but in so many situations um when you're actually looking looking at behavior it goes beyond organic it goes to the context the person's in it goes to their um behavior that they've learned how that how they actually manage to cope in the environment they find themselves in i i've down through the years before i came to the open training college i worked in a number of areas supporting people who were labeled as challenging and you find that these people came from situations that were bizarre that we couldn't live in in a minute so for example i worked with one particular individual who'd lived in institutions from the age of three she'd lived in institutions she'd been removed from home and she lived in two of the, the real big institutions in dublin so therefore in actually looking at her behavior her behavior was actually determined by the environment she was in. She was sharing a room with 24 other people who were more aggressive, louder, um, more sexually inappropriate than she was. So therefore, to survive, she had to develop behavior. So that's where her behavior came from. And finally is the key thing, one of the key elements of this module, which is behavior serves as a function. And this is really the first indicator of your role. As social care workers, your role is far more active than passive and so therefore the person is communicating a message to you about why you know about their situation about their quality of life about their well-being something is up with that person it's up to you to figure it out the adage i use and it drives some of my colleagues mad but the adage i use is colombo so therefore you're like colombo and you're asking that one more question why, uh, you know, what is the function of this behavior for that person? Why are they being aggressive? Now, sometimes that function is easy to determine. Um, I one work with one particular person who used to have outbursts every Monday and Wednesday at 7.30. Now, in the residential home I was working in, that was quite easy. The reason being that that's when Coronation Street came on and all the other people that shared the house were sitting down watching it. And she knew that she would... Uh, cause maximum effect and actually 
you know, and and she was dealing with her loneliness, and uh, her message was, look, I just, you know, it's I don't like these programs, but everybody else seems to sit down and watch them. So what are you going to do? So therefore, it's about communi- the, what does the behavior communicate to us? And that's the first unit. Um, the second unit, if I can move it on, yeah, is a brief history of services for people who challenge. Now, people who have been uh, challenging down through the years, right through the centuries, have always been marginalized within whatever society they are. Like the example in the module is from Bedlam in London, um, a mental health facility, if you want to call it that that basically was um, in relation to the people that were in it. It was really just a glorified, at some point, some people might call a zoo um, in relation to people would have come in and actually look at these poor unfortunates on, of a Sunday, just have something to do. So, and, and people have been like down through the years, anybody who was perceived as different, and especially somebody who's different, but maybe even perceived as dangerous as well, was basically cast out or indeed killed um, within society so therefore that's where we started we moved through maybe the institutions where all these people were gathered into one place and again that wasn't ideal institutions were not great places that when I if I was doing this workshop and I was actually dying to do it um, and it's a shame I didn't I always show clips from the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest which was a, a novel by Ken Kesey and a famous film that won loads of Oscars in the mid-70s with Jack Nicholson. And basically, it's all about the institutions that were created in that case for people with mental health. Um, and we've seen institutions for people with disability. Indeed, when I worked in London, there was I worked in London and there was, uh, I worked in an institution in London in the late 80s for people with disability and mental health issues. And one of the wards that was on in that particular institution was full of all these women who were between 60 and 80 years of age and uh, they were quite institutionalized and i remember one day i was only bright and uh, new and fresh out of college and i said uh, i asked one of the ward managers you know uh, what what got somebody into that particular ward they were all called after plants you know it was called oak ward or something um or erica ward and which is a type of heather and they were kind of going okay how, how did that, how did these people get in? They were all single mothers from the 1920s and they were all put into an institution. So therefore, their behavior at that time was perceived as challenging. They were then put into an institution and became institutionalized. So if you were to see these people on the street, you would say, oh my God, you know, these persons have quite a range of behaviors. Yeah, they had a range of bizarre behaviors, but those behaviors were all created by the fact that their well-being was so poor and they were in an environment that was really not very really hygienic or uh, fulfilling for that particular person so therefore we have to watch about where we've actually put people now and fortunately and i know this is part of your assignment is we've actually moved on far more uh, non-aversive approaches and a lot of the module is about that how we've moved, become far more sophisticated far more active and uh, when i went when i worked in london they just stopped the use of ammonia sprays for people who actually had exhibited behaviors that challenge so if you had a, a tantrum you got a pneumonia spray in the face so therefore but we obviously we moved into more non-aversive rights-based approaches and basically what what we've actually found out is that punishment doesn't work now punishment's wrong anyway as we know because it's not ethically right it's not legally right but also it doesn't work 
it doesn't actually make a difference. It actually makes the person far more likely to exhibit behaviours and challenge again, and it makes it far more likely that the person is, um, you know, the person. Obviously, you're affecting the person's well-being. Remember that equation. So, if they've got poor well-being and they're expressing behaviours of challenge, and then we punish them, then their well-being goes down even further. So, therefore, and the likelihood of, of behaviour increases. And therefore, we, we have to talk about ethical services. And there's there's an approach as well, which is what's called pin down in the UK. I've mentioned it in the in the, the module, which is where the teenagers were dealt with within institutions in the UK in the 80s. And again, it was an awful approach that led to some deaths, actually. And again, it was, how about this we moved to ethical services? Now, people say, oh, that was back in the 80s. No, in the past decade, there has been at least three situations within the area of disability serving people who were actually uh, defined as challenging as showing behaviors that challenge that have actually caused national um, national crises in relation to the way we've been dealing with uh, people with uh, with disability who exhibit challenging behavior so therefore we do need to move to far more ethical services the next one is rights ethics and reducing or eliminating restrictive practices and this is really where we start to look at what's the ethical and legal framework which i know is part of your um, assignment as well so therefore when we're looking at this elements of an ethical framework to support safe and effective practice with people who exhibit behaviors of challenge so it's really about we need to build a framework it's not going to happen on its own it's not going to happen by luck it's actually going to happen by ensuring you have an ethical framework now one of the key ethical frameworks or regulation frameworks we have in ireland is HICWA, which i'm sure everybody's aware of by this point in relation to their you know their work or this course or whatever and therefore it is about and HICWA's focus on behaviors of challenge is all about removing those restrictive practices and it's key that you understand them becoming social care workers because your role is to try and make the situation for any particular cohort cohort whether it be in special care whether it be in disability whether it be in mental health is to make sure that it's it's the least restrictive option you're using and uh, therefore and there's also professional standards and indeed as social care workers there is a number of standards of or standards of proficiency where you're actually asked to to ensure that you are looking at behaviour that challenges in an ethical way and a legal way. And also, one of them just basically states you see behaviour that challenges as a communication. So therefore, you need to be very aware of that. Ethical principles are key as well, and you you have the ethics uh, conduct and ethics for social care workers. And that's a key focus in, in, in the module as well. Also, five types of restrictive practice. Uh, everything from uh, if you sedate somebody, that's chemical risk. If you, know, if you stop them from using the kitchen, that's uh, environmental uh, restraint. If you put, um, put a helmet on them or whatever, or strap them into anything, that's, that's physical restraint. So therefore, we have to be aware of the restrictive practice and, and how we can try and ensure that we don't actually employ them and we actually use far more uh, non-aversive approaches, which we're going to talk about in the next few units. Consent is key as well. I'm sure Nolene and Neve, etc., Eileen and Stephen and Roisin have all talked incessantly about uh, you know uh, consent and assisted decision making and all key. And this is going to be a key area when they really finally get their act together and get this up and running is the the role of consent in relation to interventions what consent does a person have in designing their own intervention interesting 
interesting thought. When I landed in London in the 1980s and I would have said that, they would have looked at me like I was an alien from space. Some services probably would still look at me like I'm an alien from space. But the key thing is, is that we need to start looking at the role of, of the individual and the consent. And therefore, the various elements that make up good policy and general policy and restrictive practice. Because we need to make sure that the support is safe and non-restrictive. In real, and, and therefore, to do that, you need to make sure that staff are trained and there's good, strong behavioural support plan. Unit four is positive approaches to behaviour that challenges. So therefore, we're looking, in this unit, we look at positive approaches and traditional approaches. What's the difference? And again, that's a major part of your assignment is what's, what happened maybe 20 years ago that's not happening now? What's the differences? You know, you can immediately say, well, we have HICWA now. There's, you know, far more ethical, staff are better trained, all these sort of areas, which, which we'll look at at the end in relation to the assignment. But it's to be able to compare and contrast these two particular approaches. And therefore, we need to have proactive strategies. So therefore, it's not react, reactive. I'm going to talk about this far more in the next unit, but it's all about multi-element support plan, for example. So that's one particular approach you can use. And therefore, what you're looking at there is a number of elements um, that can that can support a person. Because the key thing is actually the last point on this slide, which is the five contingencies as against the traditional three contingencies. Previously, behavior was seen as ABC, antecedent behavior consequence. What happened before the behavior? What happened after? So therefore, with the traditional three contingencies, um, th and that's the way that services used to use that particular approach for a while, didn't work. Why didn't it work? didn't work for a number of reasons. The first thing is it just seemed the behavior in that particular context. But behavior can be actually happening, or the cause of the behavior can be happening a long time before. A good analogy that was once said to me in, in a particular workshop was, challenging behavior is, our behavior that challenges, is a lot like a bottle of Coke being shaken up, right? So basically, imagine yourself, you're coming home, with a pretty poor day at work, you're coming home and you, you get into the house and your teenagers have eaten all the food that you had in the house. So you've nothing to eat. So therefore you go on up to bed and you have a really poor night's sleep. Wake up in the morning. The cat, who is now staring at me through this window, is, uh, has actually um, defecated on your, on your mat in the front room. Um, you then get in your car. Your teenager has used it and there's no diesel in it. So then you have to fill it up. That makes you late. So you're stuck in a traffic jam for an hour and a half. You go in um, and then you find out that your boss hasn't been very happy with the project you did two weeks ago that she wants to see in a few hours. And then you go into your office and your colleague's there. And let's call her Claire. And Claire says, oh, and what's up with you? And then you go, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> right. So the antecedent for that behavior was Claire saying, what's up with you? But there was so much happened before that. Those were called setting events. Those were forgotten within the three contingencies. That's contingency number four, the setting event, which is basically what about the context. And setting events, I know I've been rather glib there, but setting events can be anything from, and it's interesting, I, I've done a lot of work with people at level five in relation to behavior, the challenges. And we ask them to do a project and to, to identify an individual who, who may be exhibiting behaviors of challenge. And um, so many times, one of the things that have happened that person recently is bereavement. They've actually been bereaved, whether it's been a family member, a friend, or even 
the person hasn't actually died, but a staff member, a long-serving staff member has moved, moved on, is that creates all these setting events in relation to behavior that challenges. So therefore, the, the behavior can be one, it can be a number of things, it can be a number of things. So therefore, that's the first, that's the fourth contingency. The fifth one is, what about everybody else in the person's life? So whenever you're looking at the fifth contingency, it's all about the relationships they have, the well-being, their quality of life. What exactly is that? Because so many times, and indeed, I remember when I was first studying multi-element behavioral supports with Lavinia and Willis in, in the early 90s um, with, with Dr. Brian McLean, it was a case of we would start we, we would start all these interventions with people who were exhibiting extreme challenging behavior, behavior that challenges. And every time you'd start the intervention, before you'd even started to intervene and you just talk to the person, lo and behold, the behavior would disappear. Why was that? It's because the first time somebody was paying attention to them and actually asking them, what do you want out of life? So therefore, when we're dealing with anybody, whoever it is, whoever you're working with as a social care worker, and they are exhibiting challenging behaviors, ask yourself, how can, you know, how can I improve this person's well-being? And also, it, 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 it actually, it immediately has an impact. So it's all about those five contingencies, A, B, C, plus also setting events, and also who are the, what's the person's quality of life, what's their relationships, et cetera. Okay. Next one, multi-element behavioral supports. So appraise the context of any behaviors exhibited. Behavior is a, a product of the environment we're in. Okay. Best example of that is is actually uh, an example. Um, I I've done a lot of work and still involved in the, in a in the board uh, for in a charity called Health Action Overseas that supports individuals who were institutionalized in relation. Uh, what you know in in Romania in the early 90s, and now we're trying to support them in their own housing in, in the city Constanza in Romania. The story from that particular charity, I'll cut it short, was basically, the charity was very successful. It started by a guy and um, they went over. And uh, one of the key reasons that, one of the key issues of what Ceausescu did in Romania in the 80s was he took children who had disability from their families because he didn't want the UN to note that Romania had any anybody who actually had a disability due to his bizarre warped way of looking at the world and um, so a lot of them were institutionalized so institutions sprung up around these children and what actually happened was the charity that I work with one of the key things they did was actually link the child back they linked the child back to um, their original family very successful campaign and uh, so successful that uh, they had a Romanian TV come in and after that a family contacted the charity and said uh, by the Romanian police and said look um, we've seen our son in that particular institution and they said great that's what we're about and uh, the story was that their child who was in the institution was indistinguishable from anybody in the institution you wouldn't see that and everybody in this institution had been defined as having an intellectual disability or a physical disability. And uh, in relation to this, and this guy was indistinguishable from any of them. He was sitting, rocking, had pulled the hair out of his head, and he, was, he, he, he wasn't responding, he wasn't talking. But the key thing was, and this is the key thing, this is the importance of environment. The key thing was that he was actually just a child who didn't have a disability, who'd been lost at a bus station, okay? Madness. So therefore, he'd been in an institution 
for three years and he was indistinguishable from anybody else within that institution. That is the importance of the environment and that is the importance of the environment we provide for the people we support in whatever cohort they are, is what do we add to not only to the person's well-being, how do we add to the environment that they are in and give their life meaning? What do they want out of life? So therefore, whenever you're looking at the key elements of a multi-element behavioral support plan, you have to see them within two particular contexts, proactive and reactive. Reactive strategies is, got, is nothing to do with um, person learning or anything like that. It's got to do with keeping everybody safe. An example was a lady uh, I work with who was mad into money, loved money, adored it. So therefore, we went to a local shop one day, and uh, the person opened up the till, and she pointed at a 50-pound note at the time and said, I want it. So what do you do? What would you do in relation to that? So basically, what I did was I said, look, you can't have that. That's that person's money, I said. But I have a fiver in my pocket. <laughs> I said, you can have that. So therefore, that was reactive. Nobody learned anything. Indeed, somebody, and this is one of the key criticisms of multi-element behaviors where people who don't understand it state is, oh, but she's just blackmailing or whatever. No, nobody's going to learn anything anyway. But the key thing was keeping her safe, keeping me safe, and keeping the shop assistant safe and the other customers. And what was the message she was giving us? Do you think? I want control of my own money. I want money. I'm sick of being given the money. So therefore... That taught us a lot of things, but in relation to that, reactive, reactive strategies. And indeed, when you're looking within the social care sector, there's loads of reactive strategies. There's um, TCI, Studio 3, you know, lo loads of stuff, the, loads of acronyms. But the key thing is that they're all focused on keeping everybody safe. Proactive is, is the next three, which is the next three icons. The purple um, tree there, Ruby for the slides, is the environment. So why do we change the environment, the context the person's in? How do we make it more meaningful? How do we make sure that the, the environment is comfortable for the person? How do we make sure that the person can, can be fulfilled within it? How can we make sure that the person can get positive flow within it and actually you know, make the most of it? So many times the environment of the people we're supporting um, as a social care worker is very poor. You think of uh, people who are homeless, for example, families within hotel rooms. Reading, I was reading reports earlier this year before the pandemic, but I'm sure those people are still living in the hotel rooms. But we're we're now seeing the effect of this environment on the children within hotel rooms and families who are homeless. So, for example, we now have children who can't walk properly. We have children who have, have educational issues. We have children with nutritional issues due to the fact that they can't cook a proper meal. All those for people uh, within those particular environments is caused by the environment we as a country have put those people in. So therefore, those, those people need environment and, me and mental accommodation. So therefore, when we're looking at behavior that challenges, so somebody in those, in those particular situations or in that particular situation is far more likely to tell you to go away, probably less politely, probably likely to have an outburst, probably likely to maybe turn it inwards on themselves. And you're talking about mental health issues, you're talking about suicide, and that's due to the environment they're in. So as a social care worker, what exactly can you do in relation to making sure the environment's far more appropriate and positive for the person?
direct interventions, I won't go into it here because I could go on all night, but the key thing is to, to in relation to the behaviour, is to say, okay, um, how can we get a rapid reduction in the applicant's behaviour as a challenge? So, and a lot of that has got to do with token economies, but then and reward systems, etc. But reward systems for anybody, there's real ethical concerns there. So, but there are some groovy for direct interventions. I'll mention a couple I've worked with. One stimulus control. We had one particular lady who incessantly asked about your mother. How's your mum? She wouldn't ask once. We baselined her on the, on one particular shift, and she asked uh, asked 221 times, which is which is a lot, and indeed it was one of the few behaviours I've ever seen that would incessantly make staff cry because it was just repetitive over and over again. Some people call it pestering, whatever. And again, you have to understand the person's context. She lived with the mother until the, she was 45. The mum had uh, had a stroke. She couldn't look after her anymore. She came into services, and therefore we had to support her. So therefore, direct intervention was stimulus control. So. We had a pink badge, and uh, one member of staff would wear the pink badge, and that was the member of staff who could be asked about their mother, and then or and then the other staff on the particular shift were basically didn't wear the badge. So if they came up to um, say there's me and Stephen on shift, and uh, I wore the pink badge. They go up to Stephen and say, "I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about this, but I can't because I'm not wearing the badge." Raymond is. Immediately got stimulus control, where the person's focus would then be on, I can talk about that topic with the person wearing the badge. And therefore, you get control over a stimulus that's really out of control. There's some, and then there's stimulus satiation. People always say that, uh, uh, I've been, you know, my actions get in the, in the way of the story. But towel, T-O-W-E-L, towel hoarding, where this guy lived in an institution, and this is from a, a paper, Living in an institution and he stole tiles, T-O-W-E-Ls, not tiles, as somebody once saw it was. So anyway, the key thing is that stole tiles and then, so what they did was they gave it to him, they punished him and did all this and that in the institution. But in the end, what they did was they gave it to him for free. So they gave him 10 tiles day one, 20 day two, and by the end of the week, they were coming in with tiles and he was bringing them out. Stimulus satiation, what can you give the person for free? And then environment, evaluate a works environment positive ecology. So therefore, when you're actually looking at um, multi-element behavioural supports, is it's all got to do with skills and skills. So what skills are you going to teach the person? General skill and the key thing is a functional equivalent skill. So the person is exhibiting challenging behaviour and is communication. So they're exhibiting it in an inappropriate way. So when they hit somebody to say, I'm hungry, that's an inappropriate way. What you'd far rather have them say is, I'm hungry, rather than hitting you whenever they were hungry. So, but that's a massive step. So what you need to do is give the person an opportunity to be able to communicate it better. And, you know, there's a number of ways of doing that. So that's really, um, that, that's an, a very quick overview of multi-element behavioral support. And I'll let Bergie take that up. But that's a key element. Unit six is dealing with a crisis. This is thera therapeutic crisis intervention in a unit. Um, but it's it's well worth looking at and reading and understanding. I won't go into this in too much depth, but it's far more about you understanding your intervention approach bias. So how do you deal with situations? How do you deal with a crisis? How in the past have you dealt with a crisis? So think of a crisis you've had in the past and how did you deal with it? Did you deal with it effectively? Did you deal with it ineffectively? What would help you to deal with it? 
how could you have dealt with it better? This is all about one of the key things every social care worker needs, and that is reflection. The ability to reflect on their day's work and say, I could have done that better, or I could have done that, or you did that really well, one or the other. But it's all about understanding how you deal with crisis and how you're going to, and, and because you will, you will deal with these situations as a social care worker. It's inevitable. If you're coming into social care work thinking you're going to get through to the end of your days without dealing with a person who is having a crisis and exhibiting behaviours that challenge, you're in the wrong career. The reality is that you will meet people who are probably at some of the lower, lowest depths of their life and you're one of the key supports in it. So therefore, you're going to be dealing with a person who is in crisis and may, and not only may, but will need support in relation to being able to deal with that crisis. So it's understanding not only your how you deal with it, how they may deal with it, but it's also about the dynamics of a crisis. Uh, within this module, it looks at it within group care, but it's within any particular context. What is the dynamics of crisis? And what's the goals of, of your intervention? What are you trying to do? If you're trying to make it happy for everybody and everybody's going to be happy at all this, no, it's not. The groups of therapeutic intervention is understanding that you're just trying to keep the person safe in the moment and you know keep everybody else safe to the best of your ability. And also then to start working out about how can you effectively work with this person and be proactive in the future. But in that moment, in the crisis moment, it's about keeping everybody safe and about understanding that you have a role in it. It's interesting. Emerson, one of the key, uh, key theorists in this particular area, uh, basically has done research to show that so many incidents of behavior that challenge it, 60% he put the number on, happened directly after um, some sort of interaction between the person who's caring and the person who's being cared for or the person who you're, you're supporting and the person who's being supported. So therefore, why does that happen? What, what, what is it about me may cause a crisis? It's a key point to ask. And how can I support? How can I learn better skills to make sure that that is less likely? There's also the stress model of crisis, which is dealt with within that particular unit. And also the fact that, that um, crisis interventions are learning opportunities for all. Um, and therefore, how do you make sure that that happens by building processes around it? And also about the timing of critical events within a particular group care system, for example. Like, why is it timed like that? You know, what sort of a game environment, you know? How can we, and how can we ensure that, that the person isn't going to move into crisis, or if they are in crisis, how can we ensure that there's critical events around them that is, is, ensures that they're, their likelihood of, of, of extreme behavior the challenges is less. And then the module itself, and I don't go through all the learning, I can quite a few from this particular unit, but there is five particular intervention approaches and they're well worth looking at and understanding what is the one that you're, you're kind of weeded or you're more likely to do and how can you then ensure that you can learn the other approaches so you can be more effective. The final unit, you'll be pleased to hear, is the role of the social care practitioner in supporting a person labelled as challenging. This really has very little of the challenging in it, but it's essential. This is all about the well-being bit. 
This is all about the three principles, five priorities, and five accomplishments of care, which I'll let you read yourselves within that unit. But it's key that you understand your role as a social care worker and how that then supports the person's well-being. And therefore, you need to understand your elements of professional practice and also examples of application. We also look at six basic core skills for putting the elements into practice. And that's stuff like thinking creatively. I always felt that a good social care worker has two key things. First thing is an understanding that human rights, everybody has them. And the second thing is that you have to be creative. I'm a big fan, as anybody will, will know who's ever worked with me, of Mr. Dubano and his sick cats. I think if you have that as a social care worker and you think about in any situation, however bleak it is, there's always an opportunity to be creative and think of what is the best possible outcome here and how can I get there? And then uh, finally is mindfulness, is the ability to be there in the moment. As social care workers, we're very busy people, but we also need to ensure that we're there for the person in the moment itself. And there's a, uh, there's a complete section at the end of that unit about mindfulness-based support. Okay, so before I go into the assessment, I'm actually going to come out and deal with any questions. Is that okay, Neve? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, so I'll, deal, I'll deal with any questions people have now. I don't know if you want to, I don't know how do you want to do this, Neve? Do you want to do it through chat or do you want people to put up their hand and you unmute them? I, or? I think if people put up their hand because the chat might delay. Okay, yeah. So anybody get any questions? First off, did that make sense? If you use the reactions at the bottom, <laughs> if you want, did that make sense? Anybody? Yeah, that's good. Oh, rounds of applause. That's I don't know how to knock them off, though. No, they do automatically come off, I think. Yeah, they automatically, the person can knock them off. That's fine. Okay, so any questions about behavior of the challenges? You didn't tell me, that. I thought this group wasn't shy, Neve. <laughs> I think you scared them, Raymond. <laughs> no, uh, everyone okay on the module content that Raymond has covered so far? Yeah. Yeah. People just want you to dive into the assignment. Oh, they're just mad for the assignment. <laughs> okay, right. I'll go into the assignment now. Okay, so everybody's seeing that. Okay, part one of the assignment. The assignment itself is made up of two parts. An assignment and a written assignment and an online reflective piece. Need you can guide me in this just because I go, I go off piste really. Um, really? So, um, in, in relation to it, um, so forty percent is discuss how the current approach towards people labelled as challenging has developed and how this contract with contrasts with the approaches twenty years ago, and is really legal, ethical, and how they address the well-being. So effectively, what you have there is. The way I see it is you have a kind of compare and contrast. So you have the traditional approach that happened maybe 20, 25 years ago, but not less. And then you have the current best practice approach. So the current best practice approach is all the non-aversive stuff, the multi-element behavioral supports, the, the et cetera, et cetera. So for example, and then you have that for in three areas that you need to cover. So you have legal. So 20 years ago, what was the legal situation in relation to people who were labeled as challenging? And then what is the, the, the difference now? So the legal issue, for example, you could discuss um, the law, whatever, but in, in relation to the, the criminal act, 
all this sort of jazz in relation to it. But the key thing I would mention here, I think you're looking at Hikwa, and you're also looking at maybe assistant decision-making if it's, if it's relevant. So therefore, 20 years ago, they didn't have Hikwa. What were things like, you know, services are really funny like that, you know. They say, oh, we, you know, for years and years they said, we want the best, they bought in quality systems, it was all great, etc. But it wasn't. It wasn't great. Only time they really moved was when the law through HICWA and through the Health Act, after Lee's Cross scandal, actually said, no, this isn't good enough. You need to have standards in relation to behavioural challenges to do with uh, the least restrictive approach. So that's the difference. Ethical-wise, you know, the ethics now. So what kind of ethical issues are we dealing with now that we weren't um, 20 years ago? So therefore, when you're starting to look at the ethics of behavioural challenges, you know, so again, you're talking about moving away from punishment. So 20 years ago, unfortunately, there was still a lot of restraints going on, whether it be chemical or physical restraint or whatever, environmental restraint or geographical restraint, whatever you want to call it. But the key thing is now that ethically we've moved forward a lot and it's all about, you know, the, the person's human rights within that particular area. So, but the problem is, as I said, and I say in the module, is that these situations and organisations are still happening when there's massive ethical breaches against this particular population. And the final thing is about well-being. Twenty years ago, you know, what are we doing differently now in relation to the well-being of the individual? So therefore, we're looking at it. So again, that's the difference: three contingencies against the five contingencies, for example. How are we actually focusing on the well-being of the person? Again, that's the way organisations focus on it. Um, you know, how they're focusing now on the person's quality of life. Maybe they weren't in the past. So that's it, 1,200 words. You don't have much. Um, so, and I'll let, I'll let Neve describe um, the overall structure. Didn't sit my foot in it. But, uh, but that's what, what I would cover in this particular assignment. At 5%, 800 words as you take one case study. So, Neve, I'm assuming the case studies you mean is the two within Unit 1 or the big long one in Unit 6? Yeah, either one of them. Yeah. Uh, in relation to the one in Unit 1, are you talking about, so we have the Paul one, which yeah. is on page 12, or the Tracy one, which is on page 13? Yeah. There's, there's two there, and there's also one on Unit, is Unit 6 or Unit 7? Unit 6 is noted in the brief, but I'm open to correction because I don't have the module in front of me. No, no, it's fine. Um, so they just pick one of those case studies. Yeah, there's a big long one at the end of Unit 7. So it's maybe Unit 7, which is this case study for the skilled helper, which has got to do with Mick. Um, now, maybe there is one in Unit 6. Unit 6 was far more about the crisis. Maybe there is one. Oh, yeah, there's one in Unit 6, which is John. So maybe it's the John one you want to focus in on. Yeah, because I think I was going with the ones that are of equal length, if memory serves me Excellent. So... It's really just to clarify that, so that's clarified for me. So it's the we have we have an option of three. So you have Paul, Tracy, or John. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, that's super. That's um, and identify as you as a social care worker can support the person through a map. So you're identifying um, what the issue is for the person. Really, the key, the core of any maps is what is the person communicating, and then what do you do with the environment. What skills would you provide for the person? What direct interventions might you use? And what reactive strategies would you use? So there's four elements there. And then in your response, consider the service users' autonomy, which is very good, and the engagement of significant others. So how would you get them involved? And that's a key part. How do you get them involved in relation to 
uh, social care um, in relation to the, the MEBS plan? Because that's a difference as well. How, how much do you get the person involved in their intervention? And finally, based on your learning from the module, this is C, reflect on your own areas of development. So identify one specific area you wish to develop. And indeed, Unit 7 has loads of areas. You know, so it might be creative thinking. It might be to do with your uh, unit six, either your your intervention approach. It might be to do with being a skilled helper. It might be to do with your listening skills. It might be to do with your caring skills. Um, and they're all unit six and seven is right with examples for part C. Um, and then the online discussion. Um, my other role in the college is um, with Neve. We're the online people. So uh, you can curse us for that. If you, we probably cause more challenge behavior than anybody uh, in relation to the online. But the key thing is um, online discussion, discuss, discuss the rights and ethical issues of behavior interventions. So again, that would be an online discussion. Again, as we say with all these, don't leave it to the last minute. I'm sure Neve said this repeatedly. Do not leave it to the last minute. Once or twice. The smart, <laughs> the smart people use this really effectively and they, they get ideas put them online and they get people to discuss it with them they thrash out the ideas and you need to you need to talk to at least four other students and uh, note your responses need to be more have to be in a one word response this year has there been i don't think so more than one word or line um but that's fine <laughs> you know? you're not you're not allowed to do that you have to you have to give us a cogent discussion going on and um, there's lots to talk about in this particular topic so that's it um, I'll stop the share. Um, okay, Eileen. Eileen wants to say something. It's just something. Um, when you you actually reminded me, um, Raymond. It's created some online discussions where the online discussion is copied and pasted into a number of discussions. That's still only one reply. Tried that. Put up your hand. <laughs> it's innovative, but unfortunately, it's um. It's still because when we look at the the way the online is marked, we actually look at it in context. We also look at it as all of your posts together. Yeah. So there's um I've come across four or five um between uh, the cross marking and all the rest where the same response is is copied and pasted in, you know. Oh, Don't Lord. do that guys. Yeah, that's fine, Eileen. Thank you very much. Sorry, Raymond, just on the online, just to remind people when you're doing your responses, uh, do it in a Word document because Moodle will time out after about 20 to 30 minutes. So if you were writing, starting your um, post from scratch, you could lose track of time and not be able to finish it. And then Moodle will time out and your work is lost. So to do it in a Word document and then put it up on the discussion form, particularly for the longer piece. Yeah. Just to Anybody else got any questions? Oh yeah, oh, oh, oh that is a question. Raymond, curse your ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask, sorry. <laughs> well actually, she's not enjoying lockdown, but uh... <laughs> Who is Raymond? Who is? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my hair's um somebody told me today my hair was a seventies throwback. It's not awful. Did you display challenging behaviour as a result of that? Fear and jealous, is he? <laughs>
Right. Um, okay. And uh, any other questions? No questions. No. No. Uh, well. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your attention for taking an hour out. You know, I, I appreciate you're all all very busy working and all that jazz. So um, thanks there. A few thumbs up. Um, so thanks again to everybody. Um, and best of luck. I dare say I'll see you again on this particular journey. So, um, but it's great to see everybody, and it's um, you know, and best of luck with this particular module. Thank you.